How's it going? I'm Bex Carlos. This is Lucia Bruja. Thank you for sharing space with me. I have to be honest, I've been going through it. I think I'm going to release an episode separately than this and really talk about it, address it one time and just be done with it. But in the meantime, I'm a big believer in the phrase, you cannot heal where you were broken. And on Monday, this past Monday, I permanently relocated to Tequila Jalisco. And you might be saying to yourself, but Bex, hadn't you relocated before? I had. I had some family stuff pop up and I had to go back to St. Louis. And it's interesting, right? Because it was literally like the best of times, the worst of times. I had so many amazing things happen and I met so many incredible people. On that same note, I was almost kidnapped. I had a very intense falling out with a very close friend. I had another friend die by suicide. And it was just a really difficult six or seven months, however long it was. And it's interesting because I have a divination coin that I bought at Sincerely the Craft, shout out. And I asked it before I left if it was a good idea for me to go. And it said no. I didn't try to think a whole lot of it because, you know, it has a 50-50 chance, but it really did prove that it was not a good idea to go. I think in some ways it was because I cut things from my life that no longer serve me that really brought me down to a level I don't need to be at that emotionally cut me. And communication is such an important part of my life. I'm a podcast editor. I feel like I very much explain and have clear expectations for most of the people in my life. And uh, I'm constantly disappointed by a lot of individuals. You know, St. Louis is home. My family, we're all from there. And I've realized that like, I was really set up for failure in the sense that my family is so rock solid. And we have our issues like every family does, but we talk it out and get on the other side. And I know that not everyone does that. A lot of people, a lot of families live with a lot of things under the floorboards, uncomfortableness. They never actually address the elephants in the room. They never deal with the family secrets. They never talk about incidences in the family that made everyone uncomfortable, potential suicide attempts. It's one of those things that sometimes people don't want to talk about it, but I really do think that when we don't talk about it, we are putting a net over it and never actually letting it go. And it still kind of exists, even if we don't notice it, even if it's sort of under the floorboards, I guess. Uh, We know it's there. You know, I feel like this last year was this reminder that everything has to be let go of eventually. And sometimes the harder you work to keep it in, the more difficult and challenging it is. Sometimes you gotta just let it go. However, When I was in St. Louis, I met some really, really dope people and I got really involved in the cannabis scene and I met people and I made a lot of lovely connections that I really hope to work with in the future. I feel like unfortunately when you kind of get involved in a scene two months before you leave and you meet a lot of cool people, there just isn't enough time. But I have a really hard time with St. Louis because uh, it is home, but it, it constantly discredits me. It constantly makes me feel like I'm not good enough. And I am. <laughs> I don't feel like that was up for discussion at all. Today's episode features Donovan. He is the host of Two Turped and he actually had me on his podcast first. 
it was really cool to like be on a podcast in my hometown and you know Yathia really loves coming up with a 420 menu. I've done that a few times. I didn't do it this year, but I taught a 420 class that was centered around magic. So, you know, we have our trade-offs. Sometimes we have to sacrifice something we love for something that we're going to love even more. And this year has been about a lot of firsts and meeting Donovan and being on his podcast was uh, a first that I knocked out. So I had him on and we talked about like what it's like living in St. Louis. The city of St. Louis has been very picky and choosy about what places get to succeed. And uh, you see that in like where the shopping malls are, where the highways are. It was very strategic and they were put there for a specific reason. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed diving into this conversation, you know, his perspective of growing up and spending a lot of time in like North St. Louis, but also going to private school and how that shows you two different worlds. You know what? I'm going to stop talking. Let's just jump into it. Cannabis, it's something that holds a very near and dear place to my heart. And of course, the first time that I'm on a podcast in St. Louis, my hometown, it's about cannabis. So today I'm so glad to return the favor. I was recently on his podcast. He's great. Go check out his show. Too Turped is funny and genuine and authentic in a way that I really love. And uh, Donovan, you are the host. So thank you for being here today. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Bex. I appreciate you for having me on. First of all, stop. You had me on your podcast first. And I feel like I'm just so grateful to return the favor. And you know, for anyone who hasn't listened to your show, tell us your 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 podcasting origin story. Like, how did that start? Oh, most definitely. Very easy. So my first job when I was a kid was in the family business, Little Debbie's, like the snack cake. So we were independent distributors. And my grandpa, he was the owner of it. So I'd be riding around with him all the time. And he'd be listening to AM radio. And I hated that shit. Me listening to it all the time. So one day when I was a little bit older, I just asked him, I was like, how much do these people make? They just talk about nothing all day. So he's like, well, you got that phone. Look it up. He was listening to Frank Opinion at the time. So I looked up the average salary for Frank Opinion. It was damn near half a million a year. And I was like, he gets paid that much just to talk for a living. I was hooked. And so after that, uh, I was trying to figure out how to get into radio. And I tried to actually get an internship at, I believe it was Clear Channel. But uh, they weren't necessarily trying to look for me because at that point, I was a little bit past college age. And I wasn't in school, so they weren't necessarily trying to give me opportunities. So I ended up buying a handheld mic, and I started hanging out with a couple of friends. And I was like, hey, I want to start a show. Would y'all mind, like, let me talk to y'all. We hang out a little bit. We just shoot the shit, and I record it. And so I would do that a couple of times with a couple of different groups of people, seeing if they would like it themselves, see if I could get a group of people to start talking with me and start a show. And I couldn't get it to happen at first, but I had two homies that I was working with at the time. This would be from a different side of town, and they uh, they definitely did different things in life. One used to be a rapper, and the other one used to be his manager, and they both had to be twins. They're both from North St. Louis, so they liked what I was doing and what I was talking about. So we ended up actually starting the first podcast, Triple Dub Podcast, kind of went from there. I love that you did it on your own, because you on your own podcast talk a lot about how you wish, you know, you would have been given those opportunities. And dude, I will tell you, it is hard. I, you know, went to school for broadcasting and that made it a lot easier. I had experience. Something that I've also realized that is really unfortunate about like broadcasting is people don't think that you have the transferable skills. Yeah. And I think that also this is all just bullshit that's set up to not let people like advance in life. 
I don't know. We talked about this on your episode about how like I'm ruled by spite. My biggest thing is like, you're going to have to unfortunately kill me to shut me up. I think we also are given the power of a voice to be able to one, like talk about things that we do love and like give support to our friends and family who have creative endeavors. Mm -hmm. Additionally, we help support each other. I do like local radio and the focus on like, let's talk about businesses and things happening in our town and like, you know, the good aspects, but it's an industry that is very like gatekeeping. And uh, personally, I'm not really big on the idea of gatekeeping because we talked about this before the podcast started. I grew up in Florissant and it's primarily, well, at the time it was primarily white and now there's been a more of a transition. That was very damaging for me as a kid because I had to deal with all of these obstacles of white supremacy and growing up in a space where my culture was not honored. People didn't necessarily look like me, so they didn't have the same shared experience. You know, I'm curious, what part of the the city do you sort of have the most experience growing up in? And do you feel like in which ways shape your view of the city? I spent a majority of the time, I'd say, when I was at home was in North County or North City. But then when I'd be at work or I'd be hanging out with friends from school, Majority of that would probably be West County, St. Charles, even South County, especially when I got to CBC. Like I basically was all around all of St. Louis. I had friends all over the place. I had the unique experience of being able to see like both sides of the pendulum and then being able to kind of have that middle balance of where I fit into it. Those are a lot of the hard things that I had to deal with was being in an all white space, but really being from a predominantly black background and especially one of. So like I kind of came from. We weren't like just straight poverty poor, but we definitely did not come from money and we struggled a lot. I was the only one in my family to go to private school in my immediate family. So they all did a lot of sacrificing for me to be able to do what I had to do. And so for with that, there came a lot of responsibilities of being able to be like, you have to be successful because we put all this into you. So, you know, you got to make it. So you really don't have time to be doing no fuck shit. But that's really a lot of the environment that we're surrounded by. While I'm not in these, you know, positive environments, I'm still swept up and, you know, a lot of the stuff that's going on. But because I do have that positive outlook and I'm able to see all these other things, that kind of gave me the motivation to really stay away from that. But it didn't negate the fact that I acknowledged what I was in and what I was able to see, if that makes sense. That does make sense. I went to public school in North County. And, you know, I feel like the the cool thing about public school, in my opinion, is like it can bring a lot of different types of people together, perspectives together. It does make you aware of socioeconomic struggle um, in different ways. It's this unifying like people who potentially don't have a whole lot of money. But I also imagine like there was probably like you said, the pressure that was put on you to succeed must have been very hard to deal with and like probably parentified you. And I can relate to that because like I'm the child of immigrants, like I'm the oldest daughters. I always joke like that I'm the project manager of the family because I make sure people are communicating, talking like, hey, have you talked to this person? Have you talked to this person? Because, you know, people are busy. Like there's so many things going on in our lives. It's one of those things, right? Like the things that are really hard and give us growth when we're younger really build us to be more successful and happier adults. Do you kind of feel that way? A thousand percent. I feel like I would not be in the predicament that I'm in if I hadn't been able to be in different environments as far as like public school goes and all those things, because it it put me in different situations that honestly I would have never been in if I hadn't have gone to private school. It gave me that outlet because if I hadn't have went to private school, I wouldn't have went to Normandy. By the time I would have graduated from high school, Normandy was unaccredited. So like, you know, it's a vast, extreme difference. 
from going to private school as opposed to going to public school, like especially around that time when I was going to school. I've seen it within my own family, the differences. So I never take it for granted. And like, I never knock going to public school or anything like that. But I feel like in the St. Louis region specifically, they make it so hard to where there's a big emphasis on private education because the public education is so faltered. There's not a lot of, especially on the North side. So especially in North County, North City, especially like there's a lack of resources and it's really intentional if we're really going to be, I mean, if we're going to keep it real, because we, we were kind of talking about this a little bit before on air. Like, I don't know how really you want to get about it. And I mean, that's unfortunately built into the structure of the city. Like, yeah. And it sucks because St. Louis can be such a great and uplifting place when it wants to. Mm -hmm. We also tear each other down, you know, and there's so many people that have these like skewed ideas of our city, of the perspective of the people in it. A lot of people real talk hate poor people. That's a fact. Especially poor black people. That's a fact. Like you hate it, but you created the problem because a lot of these communities were prosperous. They were successful and you built highways through it. You built malls over it. You know, you built shopping centers over it. So it's like, what the fuck do you want? You know, and I think the biggest problem with our city is people who are from here don't realize the history, the flawed and racist history of St. Louis. That's a fact. I feel like minorities, period, don't really have a place here. Like, you'll be able to hear it. Like, when you talk about different things, it'll be like, okay, Black people and Mexicans and any minorities, they live in North County. You might get a little sprinkled on the South Side, like in South City. But other than that, you know, it's very intentional and specified where we are in the city. You know, because you had Cherokee that at one point was more (laughs) Mexican community. There was a lot more like Latino, Latinx community, whatever you want to call it. Now it's gentrified. Exactly. Everyone I know, because again, I grew up in North County. Everyone that I know, for the most part, who grew up in North County lives out in the city now. Yep. You know, I get it. That's where all the action is. That's where all the fun is that, you know, I do get it. I lived at one point in these like awful apartments off of uh, Miami and South Grand. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I used to live over there and it's, it's a questionable area. I finally moved when I saw a SWAT team with flashlights chasing a guy. I'm like, I think that's my sign. But I mean, I lived there for a while and it's just wild because I had a friend who was like, at one point, this was like a nicer place to live. And now that's changed. And she went to Roosevelt. That school, I think, has also lost accreditation. Yeah. You know, you have all these people who move into the neighborhood who, you know, send their kids to private school. Mm-hmm. And so they're just, you know, enjoying the resources of this area and not really contribute to it necessarily. And so this was in 2014. And, you know, she, I remember her telling me that like, at one point, you know, you could pay $600 for a pretty decent apartment in the city. And it's like, yeah, that's unheard of now. Uh, Yeah. Like you really got to think about it. St. Louis isn't even like, I'm gonna keep it real. It's not even a popping city like that. It's not even like in Atlanta or New York or Chicago or anything like that. And yeah, the prices are like crazy. Because a lot of people have started to realize that you can get a lot in St. Louis. And we've had a lot of transplants come in. And you know, I'm I'm not against the idea of people realizing how great St. Louis is. It's just making it hard to live there. Sometimes I look at St. Louis and I'm like, listen, y'all are asking really high prices of what you're also offering here. And it is nice to see this change and people like who are creative collaborating together more because what I really love about your show, Too Turped, is that you really bring together so many people in the cannabis community. There's a lot of cool people doing shit here. Most definitely. That was one of the great things about starting the show was actually being able to 
for lack of better terms, really kind of helped build the community, the cannabis, the local cannabis community. Because a lot of these people, they were really just growing in their basements and they were looking for a place to kind of get the message out. So when I first started, uh, we would go to dispensaries and we weren't even known yet. I had a friend, I didn't have a med card. So my friend who was a co-host at the time, he would go into the dispensary, go buy the stuff. And then we'd come back to the crib and we review everything. And so we did it a couple of times and people were like checking it out and thinking it was cool. I can't remember the first grower that reached out to us. I want to say it was Monkey Nugs. I want to say shout out Monkey Nugs. And he had came on the show and that gave us a lot of validity within the local growing scene. So once he did that, a lot of other guys were just kind of like, hey, you mind if I come on, you guys can try out my stuff. And it just came with like a trickle down effect from there. And then you started seeing like people come in with being like, oh, I got an event that I want to plug. You mind me coming on here? Maybe I can get some vendors to come and support it. So that's when like, you know, the vendors started getting together and starting creating these events and whatnot. So it's just been amazing to kind of watch the whole evolution of the community build and me kind of be a part of it and help really bring it to life. You've had your skin in the game for a while. Before it was recreationally legal, there were still a lot of parameters and like obstacles. And so, you know, that freedom is great. You have a lot of perspective on how much it's changed and, you know, in what ways it's changing. And I love your thoughts on that. Most of, so the biggest thing before we go any further, I want everybody to really understand this, because as much as I love what we are doing with the community, I need everybody to understand that it is a risk that you are taking. I know that everybody is being real laxed and real cool about what we're doing, but at the end of the day, you do need to understand, like, this is not a federally legal product. And a lot of things that we are doing, we're pushing boundaries, and it's not all necessarily legal. So let's go ahead and get that right off the bat. I always want to give that disclaimer. I don't want anybody to think that, you know, what's going on is like all peaches and cream. Like, there's a lot to this. So before you even bother yourself with this, just understand all of those things. Like everything's cool, but when they decide not to make it cool, it is what it is. And, you know, we'll deal with it then. But, you know, that's always my disclaimer. I always want to give that. With that being said, I do feel like there's a lot of opportunity in this if you're willing to be patient and if you understand the long game. You have to understand that this is not something that's just going to make you money overnight. As a matter of fact, you're going to spend years not making anything, building a name, struggling, trying to figure out if this is even worth it. I promise you that if you stick it out, you put in the work, you meet the people, you do the connections, all the amazing things, it's going to be worth your while. This community is full of people who are willing to help you the minute that you step into one of these events. You can learn how to grow. You can learn how to build a brand. There's so many things that can be done within this cannabis community, which is what we're trying to show that's bigger than just cannabis. That's the main basis of how we all are connected. But this thing is so much bigger than just smoking and consuming. It changes lives. And like I feel like that's one of the biggest things about the community is how, how much bigger it is than just cannabis. You know, it's not just you're going to an event just to smoke. You're going to meet up with some homies. Like you're going to network. You're going to potentially get a job going, meet potential people to connect with and do content with. You know, there's so many different things that can be done with this. First of all, thank you again for reminding everyone that it is still a risk because that's very true. And secondly, you've put it into words in a way that I just really love because I've been creating just recipes and cannabis content just, you know, for funsies since 2021. 
your space is like audio content around cannabis. Mine was creating recipes and witchy shit because I feel that, and we talked about this a little bit on your podcast, there's so much ritual and different things that is so involved in the process of cannabis. When you think about what you're trying to get out of your session and you do go in with an intent, it comes out so much better. But even in that same regard, like if you're trying to create things and do things in the world and you're not sure how to do that, a lot of the people in the community in the spaces are really ready to help you. You have your growers, you have your people who, you know, create content around it. You have people who are making recipes. You have people who are creating spaces to hang out. Like community needs everyone. Because of that, like, I think we also have to think of this mindset of like, we have to think community over competition because there's a lot of people doing similar things, but the reality is no one's doing it in the way that you do it. You said it so perfectly but i feel like a lot of times that gets lost in this a lot of the times but what you just said was like 100 that's <laughs> yeah you couldn't have said it any better a lot of people get caught up with that bullshit though the thing that we have to remember is like since no one's doing it in the way that you are like you do have to bring your integrity and you do have to just want others around you to succeed and like i don't like jealousy I think healthy competition can be good. But I think if like you're just feeling this competitive nature to sort of like have to destroy other people or something like that's weird. Like I truly believe and try to be in the energy of like we can create it if we want to create it. But I also think with that, like you have to be vulnerable and honest and communicate. And, you know, with these relationships that we are building, like you have to also speak truth and not everyone can show up authentically as themselves. But I've been very blessed that like everyone I've met has been amazing. And I think that says so much about this community. Oh, most definitely. Like the beautiful thing about it, too, that we really haven't touched on is that it's so new. Anybody who's currently in this market, you're really a pioneer. This has only been what uh, it's in its infancy right now. It's only been for five years. Like you got to think about like the alcohol industry and other things like that. Like it's been around for over 100 years and we're just now in this thing. So a lot of the things that people are looking for to, you know, really build these big businesses right off the bat, like have patience. We are in year five of this local market and it's not even federally legal yet. So we're not even like we're still in the womb right now when it comes to this whole thing. Very well said. Very, very well said. And it, and it takes a while for people to figure out what works and what doesn't work and building community and just all of these things like this does not happen overnight. You know, I would really love to hear like, because we're talking about where we're at with cannabis now. How did you start like ingesting and, and taking in the plant? Like what got you there? Ooh, amazing question. So I was actually pretty late in life with the weed. It was always around in life, but I never consumed. And I actually have, uh, yeah, I'll go ahead. I, this will be the first time I've really even talked about this, to be honest. Ooh, okay. Uh, I really had, a, a, at first, there's a very rough relationship with cannabis because a lot of it with my family has led to a lot of downfalls. That's one of the reasons why I go so hard with advocating for it now today. I had a family member who was doing, you know, he always kind of struggled in life with trying to get himself together and really, you know, getting good jobs and stuff like that. And being able to maintain them. And a lot of that was due to smoking weed. They ended up having a really good job at Enterprise. And they were just getting ready to get a promotion, like a really big promotion. And the boss had let them in to let them know. And they were like, you know, we're going to get you this position, but you got to drop. And this was like before med, before anything. So as soon as he told them, you know, he got fired. And the climb to get back to just even the pay that he was at at that point took so long. 
that always scared me to even try to want to even smoke weed at all because I saw how much that affected that person in my family's life. I didn't really start smoking weed until after high school because also during high school, I got drug tested. That was one of the requirements at CBC was that you had to get drug tested. And we didn't do just like the P test, like you got hair tested. Damn. So it was always like, you know, there was never really an opportune time and growing up to really even smoke. So I just didn't even bother with it. But I was a hell of a drinker. <laughs> you know, I went hard with the drinking. And it wasn't until about 20, I want to say 21 was the first time that I ever smoked. And it was probably one of the worst experiences of my life. I was drunk. Uh, I was hanging out with a couple of the homies. And we were hanging out. And they had a big-ass bong. Oh, my God. Done. And this was around, like, 2012, 2013, right? Yeah. So, like, it was, like, a huge bong. I was like, ah, I don't know if I should do it. And like, nah, do it, do it. And so I'm like, all right, I'll go ahead and hit. So like, I go, take the hit, I clear the bong. Because I didn't know what I was doing. So like, you know, I'm just going. But I was coughing all over the place. And like, you know, that was my first time smoking. So like, I'm like dying. So I'm like sweating and all that. So I just started like trying to take off my shirt and all that stuff. I was like sweating and I'm trying to like calm myself down. Like, oh my God, like I think I'm getting ready to die. And they're just like laughing at me. They're like, nah, bro, like you just took a major hit. They're like, you cleared that bong. That's amazing. And so this is around the time when like dabs first started getting like popular and all that. Mm -hmm. They dabbed out the bong and didn't tell me. So literally my first smoke was a dab. Did you get super in your head and have like a panic attack? Have you ever had the clown house effect? A little bit, but please explain to clarify. Okay, so we were at a party. We were walking over there and I get in there and immediately like, you know, when you get into a like one of those at one of those things where it's like everybody gets fat and wide and tall and like super skinny, just like in all different forms and shapes and all that. Literally, that just started happening all over the party. So I just like freak out kind of like what is going on? Like everything's like going wild and shit. So like I run back to my homie's house. <laughs> I jump in the bed and I'm just like in the fetal position, like rocking back and forth. Like, just please make it stop. Make it stop. And everybody's just like, God, dude, like they felt so bad for me. They're trying to get me to calm down and all that. And eventually I just pass out and I wake up in the middle of the night and I catch the munchies and I'm just like hungry as fuck. I bet. Literally, I was high till about the afternoon of the next day. I was still high off of that dab from the night before. <sighs> so I didn't smoke for like a year or two after that. But once I started smoking again, like I had a nice little high, hanging out with one of the homies. Shout out K Valley. And, you know, she definitely got me back into it. And I haven't been, uh, I haven't stopped ever since. It definitely changed my life for a positive. That first experience, I've never experienced, I've felt more like I'm in a fun house. Like my brain starts sort of being more like, I feel like my brain is going through the motions of changing like that, if that makes sense, as opposed to like other people. But even feeling like my own brain is doing that is a lot. Oh, uh, no, it was, I've had that happen to me twice. Once was on air, actually. I had that funhouse effect happen to me on air. It was uh, one time I did a tolerance break. And the first time I caught myself, I did it for like almost a month. And so I figured on the first time I came back, I would smoke on air. <sighs> Yeah, I'll just give you a suggestion. Never do that, Bex. Never do that. Give me that episode. <laughs> I don't have to listen to it. I got you. <laughs> Trust me. I, I won't even tell you because that's like one of the most, yeah, it's a deep episode. I'll just, I'll just send it to you. Please do. Because I feel like it's sort of that same curiosity where I told you with like Franny after I found out she was on Survivor, I'd never watched Survivor. And so I was like, okay, I have to watch at least one. I have to like understand just knowing her. I'm like, this makes sense, you know? And I feel like, Sometimes it's nice to get the context 
I'm going to appreciate when you send this episode to me so much more. So thank you for that. <laughs> I'll give you, once you listen to it, I, we, we took some stuff out. I'll give you like the real version of what happened that like what happened. Yes. I feel if you still have the raw audio, please send that to be like, Oh baby, no. Like, <laughs> you know what though? That's, that's the cool thing. And also the scary thing about creating audio content is because with podcasts, like, and I do love this because it's out there at times forever. Mm-hmm. But I also hate that. That's something that I feel like we talked about that where I'd sort of told you like, that's sort of why I'm restarting this show. I feel like I was creating content in a place before just to create content and it wasn't as meaningful as I wanted it to be. And I feel like having meaning behind my content is so much more important to me now. Hell yeah. Actually, that's the one of the things that I've heard from a lot of people who started in media, like in a formal format, Mm -hmm. is that you lose the lack of freedom. But I feel like you learn so much about the system. So it's kind of like a trade. It's a trade-off. You might not necessarily be able to say everything that you want to say, but you learn the ins and the outs. And that's the thing that I'm missing. So like, yeah, I could just say what I want, but, you know, trying to find my own sponsorships, you know, really trying to essentially create my own radio station is like, that's hard as shit. <laughs> Dude, and that's what people don't talk about, like with creating a podcast and stuff is like, you know, you have you have tea. And so like, you're not totally alone in it. So you have help. Exactly. But like, I, I do it as a one woman show. And it's a lot. It's like the hosting site is like a factor you have to think about nope. the expenses of like, if you create merch, a logo, how often you want it to come out the responsibilities of editing. And it's funny, I don't know if you had heard this. But like some people say with podcasting, like people who have no idea what they're doing and kind of like throw themselves into it they stop after seven episodes okay so i tell everyone this i don't take your podcast serious until episode 25 that's fair because if you've done 25 episodes you're invested enough to where you can't stop and then it's like legit but anything before 25 i mean was it really a podcast or did you just try something out that's fair. You know, what's funny before I decided to start back from scratch, I had I think I was over 100. And then I don't know, because I, I also like would get in competitions with myself of like, keep going, bitch, keep going for my first year, because you know, this podcast is centered around a lot of different things. The most important being like to live authentically and figure out that you have the power within yourself to like do whatever you want to do. And that is finding your power, you know, but uh, I did 33 episodes for every day in October and also the two days of Dia de los Muertos. Do you know how hard it was to create 33 episodes, one for like nonstop keeping going? Like, I don't know how I did it. And second of all, I'm also impressed that I did it, but I'm like, maybe all of those should be in the private catalog. Cause I feel like after a while it was just, did I even need to make this episode? Like some of these, this could have been an email situation or this could have been one episode. So I feel like, again, with creating something more meaningful, I feel like I want it to mean things to people. And, you know, cannabis for me has been a very healing plant Kind of like how you said you had to like work through all these feelings and seeing like examples and stuff like something that was really hard is like being Mexican American and seeing that cannabis is something that destroyed my parents like homeland my homeland in some aspects like is really hard. Mm -hmm. And also it's there's a lot of shame associated with that and taking that in and the fact that you are doing it recreationally and it did destroy this place and it's a lot of things that I've had to work through. But also like kind of like how you said too like I used to drink a lot and I would get really self-destructive mm-hmm. 
Oh, yeah. And I would get blackout at times. And Oh, yeah. I was definitely about that life. Oh, my God. Me too. And then I just realized, like, I don't like this because sometimes, and it's also a depressant, and it would, like, if I was already in a fucked up place, like, it would just bring out the absolute worst in me. And I'm just, like, at this point where I'm, like, I'm not trying to, like, let the worst of me out all of the time. Because I'm really trying to exist in my senora era and be more soft and be around people who nurture my creative feminine like energy and allow me the space to be soft. The thing is, is like you can't show your belly to everyone. You can't be vulnerable with everybody because sometimes people come into your life with like certain intentions. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing I will say about the cannabis industry that I really liked is that I feel like people are a lot more transparent in a way that I really enjoy. Because when I'm coming, I feel like to people, like I let my intentions be known right away. And I'm like, I'm trying to create cool art. Are you on board? You know, like, and some people are. And I don't know. I just like, I don't want to be surrounded by people who want to manipulate me. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, most definitely. But I will say, like, just no matter what you do in life, you know, there's always going to be people that. You always gotta be cautious of that. No matter what you're in, you always gotta be cautious of that. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like sometimes when you are a person who is like creative and does have things going for you, mm-hmm. you are essentially like the bug zapper and the people are coming. So Exactly. I don't know. It's funny. I was listening to a podcast episode. And it's funny. Do you ever get reminded that our experiences are not uniquely our own? There's other people living parallel experiences. Yeah, most definitely. But I like that, though. It's humbling, you know, because it's like you're not alone. But like someone was talking about how um, they would never date a fan because it's kind of hard. And like there's this automatically like being put on a pedestal in some ways and these expectations. And I sort of lived that myself. And I was like, I don't think that I could ever date someone who is like a fan, really a fan of my work in the sense that like, that's all they know you for. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I am more than just the content that I create. Facts. And I think that like, sometimes people have this like idea of you and how that'll sort of like resonate in their life and how they can maybe benefit from that. And I'm like, you know what I mean? You're just like, you're speaking to things that are kind of like hidden home right now, to be completely honest. Got it. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's something I've been dealing with, interestingly enough, quite often. I'm very thankful for it, but I feel like a lot of people have been coming to me lately. Fortunately, you're not one of them. I will say that right off the bat. So there's no misconstrues. There's no confusion at all. You've actually helped me a ton. But there's been a lot of people that have kind of came along recently where it's like, you know, they say they want to help be a part of the brand, but it's like they don't necessarily have a brand themselves or they're trying to come up with their brand, but they feel as though they got to come up underneath somebody else to be able to have a brand. And I really want to get rid of that mindset, mainly because of the, that's more so like the radio format or like the corporate format. And I kind of feel like that's the old antiquated way of doing things. And really the new way of doing things is not getting with your friends or people that you really fuck with and locking them underneath contracts. I really don't believe in that. I kind of believe in more so us being able to collaborate and all work together and get money no matter what. Like anybody that I work with, because not only do I work with Tyler, shout out to my homie Ray. He does the video editing. Shout out to my homie Brian, Soul Press Tees. He does my stickers. Beth chills me with my merch. I got quite a few people. And like the one thing I like to do is actually like let people know about them. So then other people can use their services as well. Because if I'm growing, the homies are growing, we're all growing. It's all the more better if people are able to benefit off of it. But I want you to have your own thing and we all just benefit off of each other as opposed to like we are riding up underneath my thing. 
You know what I'm saying? Oh, 100%. I've noticed, and again, kind of to bring it back to like that light attracting things, because like some people are parasites and some people just kind of want to use your creative energy and nature to sort of even formulate the thing that they want instead of already kind of having that going and maybe asking for feedback. <laughs> As my homie, uh, shout out to my homie Caroline, I should like to say a parasocial. Can be, yeah. Do you ever notice that there's a lot of people who just like will build a relationship with you on social media, but will never ever like just share or uplift the stuff that you do or talk about your stuff or and it's kind of just like, are we just in it for the numbers game? Are we Pokemon? Do we collect each other? For a lot of people, that's what it's about, because none of them really know how to truly and genuinely communicate and actually build relationships. I think people think that, you know, content creating is just about what you put out on the actual social media, that's the easiest part of all of this shit. Yes. It's really doing the content and creating the stuff. It's everything behind the scenes. Like, that's the real work, and that's where you really get the most benefit out of what it is that you're going to do. It's the hours that you put in outside of this. Going and meeting with people in person, and I'm going to always stress that because that's one of the issues that I do have with content creating is a lot of people don't like to actually get together. It's this weird thing of where it's like, you know, Nobody actually wants to meet in person. It's more like a lot of online shit, but I only feel like we can only accomplish so much. We have to be in person and there's got to be a lot of like connecting because there's only so much you can do if you don't actually connect interface. Like there's no real connection unless it's like we have that in-person thing because that's when you get really get to know who I am. That's how I get to really know who you are. I get to learn your facial expressions. I get to learn your mannerisms. So like we could be having a conversation. I could just look at you and start seeing certain things and being like, oh, okay, we can build off of this instead of like something might get lost in translation because we aren't in person or because we're texting or, you know, we're DMing and stuff like that. So that's one of the things that I think is a challenge for me personally. It's trying to like balance that out. And that makes a lot of sense. And I know for a lot of people, I'm what I call neurospicy. I'm not a neurotypical. And so there are things facial expressions things and that that like do help tone can be lost in text you know there's a lot of things but i will say because my podcast i started at peak of the pandemic i had to find a way to be able to record and i do like the freedom of it but you're right it's not the same and you know our our episode was really great and i just re-listened to it because i was just like that was the first time that i think i've actually recorded in person really Uh, yeah that's why i feel like i was so like let's make this a celebration like let's hang out like let's eat like let's chill like so it was a really dope experience for me on my end as a guest i hope on your end as the cultivator of the conversation it was equally as fun it was the exact vibe that i always try to bring so like i I love that you said that because really that's really the type of vibe that i try to bring every episode like we really are celebrating you like this is me letting you tell your story you know you're giving yourself to not only my audience your audience and whoever else we can pick up you know doing this shit that's what it's about if i can give you the environment to feel like you can really be vulnerable and we can go up here and have a bomb ass conversation to really let people know who you are who's the person behind this product or this brand that you are then hey mission accomplished and you want to come back that's my biggest thing i want it to be that you had such a good time that you got to come back i want this to feel like a home environment like you know you're just kicking in with the homies you do definitely portray that and i'm glad that that's your vibe and dude i think that because there are some people that are great at just like bringing people together and you are very much gifted with that skill thank you Yeah. And I, I'm glad that you have been able to do a lot in this like community and grow and that it's been so nurturing for you because 
like you said, one, this is very early on in the process of this industry that's been growing. But also, I feel like it's very early on for like you. If, that's a fact. If you've been able to do this in five years, that's so fucking impressive, dude. And, and I think that that's the thing that people have to remember too. Like, you do not need a formal education in things to fucking do it. Like, I did that because I'm someone who school was useful for me in that it did sort of give me a competitive nature. And we talked about this on your podcast. I had a small group of people. We were all sort of competing for the same jobs. And also, like, it was mostly white people. So I was just like, oh, no, I'm going to be the best, like, at least one of the best. And I did that. And I was able to get what I needed out of it. And that fuels me. And, and it makes me want to create stuff that is, one, more authentic, that is more connecting, because that's what I'm about. Like, I want to be able to have powerful conversations because... Like when you hear someone's story and you really connect with who they are, like one, that's like verbal medicine because it can be very reassuring of like who we are as people. And it's like, wow, I don't feel so alone in the world. But also in addition to just being verbal medicine, it's just like connecting to the world around us. It gives us perspective on people and things. And I love podcasting because I think a lot and I love hearing like people shift my way that I see the world, you know, Thanks. nobody should want to just have the world that they see be a certain way. And and I think sometimes we live in echo chambers where we're only getting like certain perspectives. And that's unfortunate. But you know, we can grow if we want to. And so I'm always so supportive and proud of people who are like trying to create something that just feels real to them and having like a hobby or, you know, like a labor of love project, I think is very telling about ourselves. That's a fact. That is a fact. Because one thing I want to compliment you on personally, Bex, is uh, you're doing this content thing the right way. I sent one person your way and you're automatically already making connections with them and meeting with them in person and stuff like that. Like that's the type of stuff I feel like that's what you really need to be a true content creator. To just be a true creator in this, you got to be willing to do the small things like just outside of this. You got to be willing to go and shake the hands, go talk to people, have the meetings. As soon as I told you about Hash Up, Mash Up, you pulled up. Those are the things that are to me, like that's what's going to make you successful in any variety of this contact thing is getting out there and really getting with the people and immersing into the actual communities. Thank you. I, I, I hear that. And I appreciate you saying that. And yeah, and I love that you are so willing to invite people into spaces that are already building community because that's the thing too. And I want to circle back to this because you mentioned this earlier about how you kind of had to get like the approval of the industry for more people to notice. <sighs> that's like sometimes the hard thing, right? Is like your content has to come across the right set of eyes and people that really value it for other people to sometimes give you the seal of approval. And like, I talk about that because I create, again, content that's like focused on a lot of things, but I'm a fucking witch. I'm a bruja. Like everyone knows that. They're like, that's a witchy bitch over there. Yeah. <laughs> like that's just who I am. And I'm like always trying to build and create and do things and bring cool people along with me. In case you didn't realize or maybe think about this, you know, like the witch community is also very niche. Nope. You know, I, I my work is centered around like using magic to not only improve our lives, but to also live in wanting to create justice for the world because there's certain things we can't good vibes only our shit out of, you know? As a percent agree. And I feel like, you know, systemic racism and oppression is one of those. And so it's like, I'm sorry, we have to talk about the elephant in the room if we're going to make it better. You know, a lot of people don't vibe with that because they're like, you're living in low vibration. I'm like, fuck 
you, dude. And I just think it's very dismissive of like real problems and emotions and like harms that come from certain things. And we have to be able to heal as people and see each other as people, you know, and that's sort of what my show is all about. And it wasn't until Marcella Kroll, who I had mentioned is like the creator of the tarot deck and the Oracle deck that I use as like divination tools. Yes approved and like shared my content that like my podcast even built a following and maybe it's just who I am as a person like I'm always super upfront with people about like anything and just kind of let them know people take that as conflict but I think I take it as being transparent because then it's like at the end of the day you know where I stand on it and you can move accordingly I've just come to realize not everyone operates that way I ain't gonna lie like that type of stuff is uh I get a good feeling when those type of things happen because it's kind of like, ah, so, you know, you thought that you had the upper hand at one point, but like, that's how life works. And that's why you always got to be careful how you treat people. Like you might be doing something now, but you know, give it a month, maybe even a day or some shit like that. It could automatically flip and the other person is like, you know, they're on the other end. So you always got to be true to self. So one of the things that I find funny is when people do kind of switch up like that. Most likely, I'm not going to rock with you. I'll be cool with you, but I'm not going to do anything with you because if it was like that before, like it's going to be like that again. You're just rocking with me now because I got something hot going on right now. But the minute that I cool off again, which is going to happen because this whole thing is about, you know, up and down, you know, you're never going to stay in the same place. So you always got to take the bumps and the jumps. But if you're just going to be with me, you know, when it's hot, uh, now nah, I'm good stay over there. Like, I don't need those type of people in my life. I'm more so the type where it's like, I try to have a real tight circle. So like, if I really do have you in, like, just know, like, that's an amazing thing. Because I really don't let people into my inner circle. Like, I'll be cool with you. But you're not going to be in my inner actual circle. Yeah. And I think that there's a difference too, between being like in someone's like inner circle and just being an acquaintance. And I think that that's sort of like the challenging thing sometimes with like social media is sometimes it gives the illusion that we're a lot closer than we are. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's hurtful to some people because they think that the friendship has more merit. Sometimes it's, you know, harmful in the sense that people will do the bare minimum and think that's enough. Exactly. So I don't know. I just I think that also maybe like with the severity of the pandemic and everything, like it's it's really like we have the opportunity to be so connected to people, but equally so disengaged. And I don't know, we can't be like avoidant and not address things. I feel like that always causes more of a problem. But we're learning, we're growing, everybody. It's like a learning process. And I feel like audio is the same way. Like, I agree with you partially. Okay. We should communicate. But if the other person isn't ready to receive the message, isn't necessarily always worth it to be necessarily always the most authentic and real. Because some people aren't even built or equipped to handle that. So sometimes I kind of feel like personally, I'm more on the side of cautioning with realness. I only give that to people that I really know and that, you know, understand where I'm coming from with things because a lot of people, they can't handle real. They've never even had real in their life. I always kind of stay on the side of caution when it comes to being like always authentic with people. Because sometimes it's just like, even though they should hear it, are they ready? That's a good point. That is a good point. I don't know. It's funny. I was joking around with my mom because I always kid with her that her biggest problem is like she doesn't know maybe to win to hold back. It's funny that thing. It's like don't throw stones at glass houses because I struggle with that too sometimes because you're right. Some people, they're just not ready to hear it and their perspective of the world is not ready to be shattered. Yep, that part. I also think a lot of people just like don't know how to take accountability. That part. 
I mean, that's the biggest part. In my opinion, that's number one. And then the first one is number two is the accountability factor. Like if you don't even know what you did wrong or you're not even going to acknowledge that you did something wrong, I'm not even going to sit up here and try to go back and forth with you because that's just a whole nother battle within itself. You can't make someone see a blue sky if like they've just convinced themselves that it's green. That's right. Yeah. You know, I, I'm so glad that the cannabis industry, because one, it was something that like you've sort of gotten into because it's been beneficial for you. It's changed your life for the better. And you've been able to make these authentic like connections and stuff. You know, I would love to ask you kind of as just like a final thought, who are some different people like here in the St. Louis area that you think that people should be paying attention to that maybe they're not or they get recognized and they find things, but like more people should know about them. Like, give me your top five. Ooh, it that is a great question wow and does it just need to be in the cannabis industry no it can be anything you want that's the thing about st louis is like we don't give each other our flowers as much as we should thousand percent agree i'm gonna say (sighs) shout out to my homies elite home growers those are the guys who got me involved in the industry they've now evolved into the elitist brand that is their uh that's their cultivation brand But essentially, they started out with doing classes and particularly in the predominantly black spaces, they were teaching people how to grow, even around medical. And that's kind of really how I got my podcast started was going to one of their first events. And ever since then, you know, they've really been breaking barriers around St. Louis, whether it's in the event space, like they did one of the first cannabis events at Skate Laborious back when it was still going. Like that's how the cannabis industry really got introduced in the newer wave. I'm not going to say like, you know, before medical, there was a whole cannabis scene before that. And the elite guys were part of the crew that really made that open up and happen. Those are some of the guys that you should really get familiar with. I'll say Tree 14. He's another one of the bigger legacy guys that are out here that are really doing some amazing things. He's actually a local geneticist. And that's a huge deal. A geneticist is a person who creates strains and he's creating a lot of St. Louis strains and they're actually starting to get put out into the corporate market now. So I feel like that's somebody that definitely people need to pay attention to. Captain Mo Green, he does some of the biggest events also in the cannabis scene. He's definitely bringing some unique shit to the game. I want to say the Loud Bank. That's the first black owned hydroponic store in the Midwest. And it happens to be right in North County, right off of Hanley and Natural Bridge. So shout out AC. They also have a podcast, the Grow Heads podcast. So that's another content team over there. And uh, let's see. I'll go ahead and shout out some some St. Charles people. Definitely High Plains Drifter. He's one of the best rosin makers in the city. And Mad World. Yeah, Mad World Edibles. Got to round it out. But the best edible maker in the city and one of my good friends, Mad World. Yeah, those are the people that you need to look out for. Mad World's great. She gave me a pumpkin pie that was not infused, but was still equally as fucking delicious. <gasps> oh, I got a story. Do you want it on air or do you want it? Is this a personal one? We, we can do it on air. Okay. It'll be weird. Okay. <laughs> so those pies, right? Yeah. We actually got one too. We got two of them, but they were medicated. So <laughs> my wife's father, he didn't realize that the, uh, the pie was medicated. <gasps> so he had a piece and he went over to her grandmother's house and was fixing the hot tub and everything. And so on the way back home, it hit him. And so like when he got back to the house, you know, his heart rate is up and all that stuff. And he's kind of nervous because, you know, he doesn't know what's going on. And so it just so happened, my wife happened to be at the house. So, you know, they're trying to take care of him, got him laying down, like trying to get the heart rate to go down. And so they're asking him all these questions of like, you know, what did you eat? You know, what did you do? And so he's like, you know, I had my cups of coffee and I had some pie. So my wife was like, wait. 
which pie? And she's like, oh, that pumpkin pie. Mad World, those pies are real. They will fuck you up. They are really medicated. She's bombing what she does. She had my father-in-law lit. That was the first time I've ever gotten them high. So I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, it wasn't intentional, but I got it done. So, you know, I'll take it. A win's a win. That's hilarious. I... <laughs> <laughs> I did edibles with my parents once and um it was fun until it wasn't. <laughs> it can change very quickly. Her pies are great. I'm gonna mention her too. So she's someone you should definitely look out for. Went to the cola lounge today, so that's my second one. It's a cool space and I'm really excited to see what other events and collaborations people, you know, that meet there. Hell yeah. Shout out Brennan. Shout out. Shout out to Sincerely the Craft because a lot of people who are into cannabis are typically into spirituality, are witches, are magic practitioners, are healers, are whatever you want to call it. Black owned, it's queer owned. And she actually collaborated with Brennan on an event, The Dope Witch. So shout out to that fortune teller bar new ownership and i love that they're creating like a safe space for the queer community for the trans community so shout out to them and then gateway cannabis instagram page i believe they put on like events and different mixers and stuff that are free to the community if you want to come out you just have to rsvp so shout out to them again it takes a lot of people and i feel like the people who are constantly making the efforts to bring people together should be applauded so you know i'm gonna Get all of the links for all of the people that you mentioned, Donovan. Equally, I'm going to include all the links in the show notes so that, you know, if you're interested in either supporting people in the industry or you are in the industry or want to get more involved in the industry, you know, those are some people to check out and to look at, you know, what they're doing. And this community is only going to get stronger by the connections that we build and helping each other. So I want to thank you for coming on and chatting and sharing your story. And, uh, you know, where can everyone keep up with you? Thank you, Bex. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate this. This has really been fun. Uh, you can find me at 2Turp on all social media platforms, T-O-O, T the number three, R-P-D. And you can find me on my personal page, Donovan2408, on all social media platforms. Amazing. And all of the links to access Donovan's content will be in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day. Bye, y'all. See ya. Thank you for listening. I just have to point out the irony that, of course, the first time I'm on a show in St. Louis, it's related to cannabis. And, you know, before I took down the whole catalog, I did a whole season about cannabis. And I think I'm going to go back and either re-release some of those episodes or connect back with those people if they're just doing something completely different. Because one of the things with this podcast is I really just love the opportunity to talk to people about why they started their business. A business is a labor of love. You know, with Donovan's podcast, like it's been really cool to watch the evolution of the different things he talks about. And cannabis is always like the underlying component, like he said, but there's so much more. And it's cool to hear people's stories who work in the cannabis industry, especially. I feel like one of the big reasons that I'm showing up more in the cannabis community and trying to, you know, teach classes that give like a historical context and also explain why different methods are used or you can use different methods and combining different things. That's so important to me because as a Mexican-American, especially now who's living in Mexico, I feel like I have a duty to also like help heal people's relationship with the plant, you know, because it destroyed Mexico 
you know, the cartels. And, you know, that's one of the things that I talk about in my class. Mexico is such a beautiful place. The land and the terrain and the stories and it's tragically beautiful. And it's such a layered place. And not to say the United States isn't because it is, but I don't know. There's something about still being the product of the people who colonized you so directly and having it in the blood and having both sides, you know, it's, uh, Mexico is different. And I've always joked about how, like, you know, I, I basically got tired of dealing with one sort of racism in the United States. It's like, let's see what a uh, spicy racism is all about, you know? And I know that my experience is going to be different because I am very fair skinned and I know I'm going to see a lot of fucked up shit, but I also have to remind myself that Mexico is a place that there is a lot of gender-based violence. So I have to definitely step up in whatever way that I can to help folks. And I'm excited for this new chapter of my life and what it's going to mean to me. I, by no means, am an amazing person. Um, but I try to at least stick really strongly to what I believe to be right, what I believe to be just. One of the things that I am like really happy about in the cannabis industry is I am seeing a lot of equity. And I mean, it could always be better, right? We could always see more people who have roots in cannabis be compensated more and, you know, um, reparations for like the violences that their ancestors had to deal with. But I digress. I'm connecting with Donovan and having him be so supportive and me equally want to return the favor because you should support people that support you. And I really enjoy his show. Cannabis is such a complicated thing for no reason other than like racism. And it really truly is this medicinal thing. I mean, anything can be overused, right? I think Joe Rogan said it best. And I hate to quote Joe Rogan and be that guy, but it's like hamburgers can be overused, you know, and it's really about finding what makes you feel connected to self and what makes you feel connected to the rest of the world. And I think cannabis really helps with that. You know, for me, it helps me feel less frazzled and stressed out by the world around me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please support Donovan. And please also follow all of the suggested people you should know in St. Louis. One I want to add to the list that I didn't, and I don't know why I didn't, Glimcore is amazing and they do different products that are centered around like horror, horror movies. They have a black Phillips spray that smells delicious. And in addition to the body spray, I also have the body wash. And it's been reminding me of home. And uh, in addition to that, I met two women from Lifted Provisions. And there's three of them, I believe. And they're Black owned and they're veteran owned. And I loved and connected with their stories about how, you know, sometimes people want to get all of the different, you know, papers and, and wraps and potential bong, but they don't want to like go out and have to do it. And that's like a little overwhelming or embarrassing to them. You know, I feel like sometimes that can be one of the most overwhelming parts, especially if you don't know what you're talking about and you don't know sizes and people are asking you sizes. I really commend them for finding an area that needed more comfort and hospitality and connectivity to the activity of like smoking cannabis. And yeah, I just, you know, I'm really being impressed by the types of creative minds that exist within cannabis, you know, because there's a lot of different things that are associated with the plant. So it's cool to see people on all sides making sure it's accessible. So I'm going to include those two in the show notes as well. 
Uh, Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, rate it, subscribe. And I'm excited for the fun things that we're going to do in 2024. I have a lot of things on my list personally. I did want to mention before we head out, I'm teaching a cannabis magic class called The Elevated Witch at Creswell Mansion, also known as the Marijuana Mansion in Denver, Colorado on February 11th at 6 p.m. If you're interested, uh, there is the link in the show notes to do that. So thank you again. Have a good one. Bye, y'all.